Jurassic Park sequels one at a time. I'm Brad. I'm B. And on today's show, we're going to be discussing the very first episode of Jurassic Mysteries. It's coming up on the Patreon feed this week. Packaging, keep it or bin it. But uh, before we get into that, David, what have you been up to? Uh, not much. Uh, working. Earning the money to spend on figures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing you uh, might need to spend a little bit of money on, a couple of weeks ago, and again, we're not sort of not trying to be a news a news podcast, but we'll report on news and discuss stuff we want to uh, discuss, but the um, Blu-ray film release to home home theatre for uh, Fallen Kingdom is coming up very soon. It's uh, going to hit digital me- media, so your iTunes net on September 4th, and then the physical discs are going to be out September 18th, so just over a month away, and uh, the film's going to be out. Yeah, I don't agree with what they did there when they had the digital release before the physical. I mean, it's, it's the movie. People are going to buy either one. Just release them all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it's to entice people to buy the digital release, but, I mean, I, I'm, an old, I'm old-fashioned. I prefer the physical release. Mm. Well, we can sort of go into that a little bit as well. The other films, we, we've talked before about how we've gone for 3D and 4K and that when we don't have the players to play them, but the, um, with the media that we can play and, and watch, what sort of... Uh, obviously, the we've talked the Blu-rays for the original trilogy and um, even VHS for the first two, at least, <laughs> I've got got here. But um, with Jurassic World, how do you... What what do you purchase there to view, to view Jurassic World at home? Uh, Jurassic World, I bought the Indominus versus T-Rex box set from Amazon. Mm-hmm. It was actually, I was I really liked it, and it was a really fun set. Almost, they're almost like kind of vinyl uh, book bookends in a way, but yep. not having enough to be used as such. But no, they are nice figures. They're nicely detailed, nicely sized, and the uh, I like that the fact that the packaging that the that the release comes in. Is just the logo in a mm. metal tin. It's it's not it doesn't have any of that Raptors on the motorcycle or Raptors riding with a motorcycle crap, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I also wanted really wanted to get that that set mainly for those figures or just the statues that come with it. But to this day, I still haven't got it. The only the only way I consume Jurassic World is uh, <laughs> digital download from iTunes. I've I still have not brought it on. DVD or Blu-ray. More so just because most of my um, movies and that I consume on my iPad and that, so even though it's 2.6 gig or something, it takes up a bit of space, but uh. but it's more for, for my son to watch on his iPad, so it's not on the TV. And it was more so just as a, as a placeholder until I could get that set, but now eBay and everything else, it's pretty much jumped to a price I'm not happy to pay for it, so <laughs> I sort of missed the boat on that, but but yeah. What is the uh, quality on the digital download that you have? I only, I think I've mentioned it before. I only go for just the standard. I don't understand paying more for HD on a device, a phone, or an iPad. It's, I um, a lot of times when new films come out, I'll go and hire them, pay five five bucks, or whatever, to hire them for the night from a video store, and then I'll rip them onto my hard drive. <laughs> And so I've got a digital copy there, and even even at a, a lower quality there, it's still it's still fine. Um, you still see more issues with CG and all that sort of stuff, other other than quality. 
But for the film itself, I don't really notice anything that bad about it. Um, again, I haven't seen it on Blu-ray, so I'm sure it'd pop a lot more there. But a lot of the stuff, like that, might be why I think the Tyrannosaur is the worst design in any of these films. It might, it might be because it's on that small screen. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but I, I, I will say that the um, quality itself is better with Blu-ray mm. for uh, for Jurassic World at least. Yeah. Yep. And it's sort of getting back to the um, Fallen Kingdom release. There's a few different um, ways you can purchase it. One of them is the uh, the five disc or the five movie box set, which uh, they done for Jurassic World as well. You got the original trilogy, and then that blank spot in the back to put a uh, Blu-ray or DVD for Jurassic World when it was released. So once once we get to the end to uh, whatever Fallen Kingdom Three is going to be or uh, Jurassic World for I should say the um, it was sort of the same with the Star Wars set. I purchased the uh, the fir- the prequel trilogy and then I had the original trilogy, but I was waiting for the the six film set on Blu-ray before I jumped into the Blu-ray and got that box set. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the same here. I'm I'm going to hold off on Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. I might just go and get the digital download again just so I've got it on my iPad, but. I'll be waiting until the third film comes out so I can get all three films into one Blu-ray box set. I've got the first trilogy Blu-ray box set, so I'm hoping there's a just a Jurassic World release as well on Blu-ray, and I don't have to get the, the first three films again, because it's one thing, especially in a Jurassic franchise, every couple of years they decide to uh, redo the artwork for the DVDs and everything else and release it, and as collectors, most of us need to buy it. <laughs> so... And then even looking at um, some... I, I used to buy DVDs in the day and even Blu-rays now for the special features, for all that behind-the-scenes stuff, um, the making-ofs and all that. But like, Jurassic has been one that's, that hasn't really... A lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff is already online. It's not... And looking at some of the special features here for the uh, for the 4K Ultra High D, HD set, it's a lot of this stuff we've seen, a lot of it's just fluff and isn't that interesting like Chris Pratt's Jurassic Journals we've seen a lot of that stuff in marketing and add on online mm. and a lot of the um, interviews so like more the more the, the the better behind the scenes features of more of the stuff that's done well beyond the film's release where people can look back without being fired from Universal for saying something bad or you get you get a lot more back uh, like intrigue and information about the film and not just marketing hey this film's going to be great hey it's the best in the franchise yet and all the stuff you get from marketing before a film's released but yeah well that's actually why I'm going to go with the Target release um, there's a Target exclusive release that comes with a bonus disc mm-hmm. now it's already been confirmed that there's going to be no deleted scenes on this release yeah I mean it is disappointing but you got to remember Jurassic World is very unique when in having as many deleted scenes as it does. You look at the first three movies uh, for Jurassic Park, we got none officially released. For the Lost or for Lost World, we got two officially released. Out of we out of the seven or eight that we know of, we have like full film for. And then Jurassic Park three, we got nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, this is really kind of keeping in 
with that um, idea of whatever the cut you got is the cut you got, and that's what that's what you're gonna get. You're not gonna see any additional. Now that's not to say that we won't see something additional later. That we won't see in a, a later release where they have deleted scenes. But for now, I think that I'm curious what's on that fifth on not on the fifth disc. What's on that bonus disc on the target release? Mm. Yeah, well, that just right here, that target release has the 28-page gallery book, which yeah, yeah which yeah. would be definitely something interesting to have. We've always talked about how great it'd be to have a like concept art and just a tabletop book for the Jurassic franchise mm-hmm. on the whole, even just the, the Jurassic World films. But um, it does say that it's 30 minutes of exclusive bonus content that uh, you can get on it as well, and it also has the um, the Mark Ingler poster from SDCC. Uh, that year before Jurassic World coming out, with the uh, mm-hmm. Jurassic Park raptor crouching on the ruined Explorer, so it's sort of interesting. They've touched the post drop a little bit, and it looks like now the um, the buildings in the background are on fire. Well, you got the smoke coming off them. There's more of the uh, Fallen Kingdom theme, and not so much Jurassic World. But, mm-hmm. but as as you said, it's sort of just good to see something on there that's not a movie scene. Like the the Raptor Squad, or I think Jurassic uh, Jurassic World was the start of moving away, and even the original DVD and Blu-ray releases have done it now too, where they've gone away from just the logo to now. Um, I think there was the whole controversy about the the Universal release at the start of the year with all the different uh, artistic scenes from the films now put on the uh, on the DVD covers, and unfortunately iTunes went through it and just changed them all on their store when I had the uh, original just logos on each one, including just the the Spinosaur and the Jurassic Park 3 one, which they've come out a few times now and replaced that with the Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton. Um, yeah, yeah, no more Spino on the Jurassic Park 3, which though it's funny that you said that um, they went and changed everything. I, I can just imagine this nice lineup. Uh, on your iTunes of all all the logos, and then yeah. get the uh, as you said, the artistic design is a nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was good for the first three, and up to Jurassic World, I'm pretty sure the um, the Jurassic World one was the Raptor Squad. I don't know how, but I've got two copies of Jurassic Park on here. One's the um, the new one with the Tyrannosaur Breakout, but I've still got one here that's just the Jurassic Park logo of the gates. So I don't know, I don't know how that's still on there. If there's a glitch or, but even the Lost World's still the original. Um, it's got that brushed silver background like the Jurassic Park Free logo, but it's just got the red Jurassic, uh, the Lost World logo there. So I don't know what's going on with those two. Mm. But, but then the Jurassic Park Free ones, Billy and the Pteranodon, in the Raptor Squad there. So, yeah, <laughs> they they just love to change it. I just I still to this day. Absolutely love waking up in the morning and finding Facebook's changed in the morning and trying to work out what where everything is. And, but um, that's for a different conversation. <laughs> uh. and we can charge anything we want, 2000 a day, 10000 a day, and people will pay it. And then there's the merchandise. Donald, Donald, this park was not built to cater only for the super rich. Everyone in the world has the right to enjoy these animals. A lot of stuff that's in stores at the moment, toy-wise, I've already got, and I'm um, going to wait for it to go on clearance or come down in price before I start doubling up on, or tripling up on dinosaurs. But one thing I did discover in my Target today, which 
I had no idea was being released is the um, sort of the baby the baby animals in an eggshell, much like we got with Jurassic Park and I think with the Lost World as well, where you had the like the baby raptor in that in its eggshell, the Triceratops. This was the Tyrannosaur, and it's a fantastic little sculpt of a baby Tyrannosaur. You got the big yellow eyes looking forward, a stumpy little tail, and it's in a in a pretty nice egg. Now the egg does have a little motorized gimmick where you close it and then it sort of um, slowly comes apart then pops open the gimmick doesn't work <laughs> at all but uh, <laughs> I think I posted some photos of it on the uh, Facebook page if I haven't I will before this is released but it's just a fantastic little baby Trenosaur um, the mouth opens it's got a little um, button on the back you can push and make the jaws open and close and Aww. it's fully poseable like even the arms you can move the arms all the way 360 really? degrees and in and out just like the um, just like we've discussed with the baryonics and that like, it's got the same oh, arm articulation as that, so... Thank you, Mattel. I had no idea that they were releasing a baby line and looking at the bottom of the box is going to be Triceratops and Baby Blue and some other ones, so I'll be very interested to get them. Ian, the animal's dehydrated. The first thing it's going to do is go to a water source, and then it's going to look for the next thing its body needs. One other little discussion point I wanted to touch on, too. I've sort of... I wouldn't call it a midlife crisis, but I've just woken up to a... Uh, how many boxes and packaging from Fallen Kingdom mainly is just littering my house at the moment <laughs> where we've got new figures, brought them home, opened them, and then the boxes, for some reason, OCD or hoarding or whatever you want to call it, um, I've kept all the packaging. David, you, you purchase figures and get them out to play with? Mm-hmm. I do, yeah. Do you keep the packaging or do you bin it? I do not. I do not keep the packaging. <laughs> I... At first, with Fallen Kingdom, I started to, and then I started realizing, oh my god, I have a massive pileup of Jurassic Park boxes that I'll never use and never need, mm. so it all just went in the garbage. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And it's sort of, with some of the original stuff, apart from the carded figures, you could use the box to put the figures back into if you did have to pack it away or, uh, or move or anything like that, whereas here you've got most of the big figures, uh, you pop them together once they come out of the packaging, so they'll never go back in that packaging again. That is true. No, I did keep the um, Amazon box yep. for that my Super Colossal came yep. in, just because I'm going to ship it overseas to England to have it repainted by Father Phantom Studios as the mail. Yep. Yep. Stuff like the carded figures, I do cut the bubbles off the front of them and just keep the card, because that's as easy to store. But for some of the bigger boxes, like I just love, I do really like the Fallen Kingdom logo with that cracked... Uh, Lost World feel to it, and it's all over the packaging. So I've started just cutting, <laughs> cutting the cutting that off the packages, and just keeping the backs of the boxes as well. More so just for my son because this is his his sort of started collecting all this stuff now, and when he gets a bit old, mm -hmm. he'd probably want to see what the uh, the stuff looked like, just artwork on the packaging and that. But mm -hmm. I've yeah just started the the Mosasaur I was going to keep, and it's sort of the one I'm still holding on to at the moment, whether or not I sell that or not. Oh, it's not sell, throw it out, but. Um, yeah, I'd done a bit of a cleaning out yesterday, and it was good to see some uh, great interaction on both of the uh, Lost World Minute and Jurassic Minute's Facebook pages with some of the stuff I found in storage. But just as boxes from figures I purchased going all the way back to 2007, that just, like the figures now, you can get them at a $2 shop, there's no collectability to them really. 
that much anymore and it's just why have I got all these boxes <laughs> for this stuff like it, yeah but it's alright maybe keep one or two just so you sort of have an idea or just so you can see what the packaging was like in a day and how much it's changed over the years but having having 20 boxes from a line of figures that were released in 2007 or 2009 it just <laughs> it's that's hoarding so <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> I'm doing a run a run to the bonfire this afternoon after this record and I'll be burning a lot of it <laughs> just to make up some space because I'm getting overflowed <laughs> I'm getting swamped by packaging what I've taken what I've taken to do is um, I found that if I really really like the packaging art I'll scan it yep. I'll scan it I'll have it for my records digitally and I then I can get rid of the box you know like I did that for the um, the what was it the card back art for the uh 12-inch uh, 12-inch Velociraptor. Yep. I took the I took the volcanic back out of there, scanned it, had it for my digital records. You know. Mm. Now, if I want to look at it, I have it digitally. Yeah. And that's and if that's just for getting figures and getting them out of the box. Like there's some figures where I'm just waiting for sales, or whatever else. Uh, like the Fresh and Fro T-Rex, I'd just love to have that figure in its box because it looks so good in its box with the fence in the background and I really like that sculpt and that mould um, the Legacy Jeep is another thing where I'd just love to have one in box and um, I can put that with my Kenner stuff and even the uh, the Mosasaur it's a bit harder to get because you're going to be paying full price but um, stuff like the, the orange Velociraptor just feels very Jurassic Park and something like that I'd keep to put with me Canada display as well mm-hmm. and just save that in box like the real feel Mosasaur would be great next to the like the original Jurassic Park Triceratops and T-Rex and that just because it, it's almost it's almost the same figures just that latex or that real feel skin is, is just fantastic and I'd just love to have one of them in box to display but all the other stuff that's coming out all the matchbox stuff and carded stuff like that yeah <laughs> especially when you're getting a dozen G-Wagons and um, and Jeeps and that, like, and keep one card back so you know what the art was on the packaging, but the rest of it can go. <laughs> Hang on, this is going to be bad. Lastly, and just quickly, for the Patreon on the Patreon feed, we do have the Patreon account up now. Just search for patreon.com slash Jurassic Minutes, I think it is. <laughs> I'll have to double-check on that, but uh, head over there for just a dollar. You'll get the uh, monthly. We're going to try and do two a month of uh, bonus shows. And this week we're going to be releasing the uh, first episode of Jurassic Mysteries, which is uh, Storms and Hurricanes, where we're going to be discussing the uh, the storm, that, the tropical storm that hit uh, Ublar in '93, and how the myth and misconception going along with Hurricane Iniki that hit Kauai at the same time, where people think it was a hurricane that hit Jurassic Park and not a storm. So we're just going to discuss that for a bit and um, put the story straight there. Mm-hmm. That'll be up in the week to come, hopefully, after I've uh, done some editing. But um, apart from that, David, ready to get into the uh, pre-standard script read, part two? Sure. All right. Where we left off last week, we had got to uh, the gatherers setting up base camp, and when uh, Ian went on a bit of his rants again about no one wanting to believe him, the uh, forest behind him started to move, and we cut to the uh, group walking through the jungle and uh, to a stream where trees continue to sway. One interesting thing here too is they sort of the the jungle gets really tight and blocks them in at one point. Where here we're still going with that jungle feel that 
Crichton had in his novel where the film, we know they went to the Redwoods and decided to have all the Stegosaur stuff up in the Redwoods where it's more open. You do still have that enclosed feel, but it's definitely a different feel for the film. Well, in the script, they um, and this carries over to the final script as well, is they have this description of like a 15-foot block of foliage at the at the uh, in the middle of the dried-up stream bed, and in the in the final movie, they miraculously were able to find a big enough tree that fell over a pretty shallow stream bed, mm. and so that's what's and what they end up using. And instead of the like classic coniferous jungle, I mean, I'm sorry, the classic uh, kind of deciduous jungle. We got this more coniferous jungle in the movie, and you don't feel as boxed in. But if you were standing there and all you had between you was you were stuck between a like a fifteen foot tall tree that's sideways <laughs> and a herd of stegosaurus just stomping through the uh, creek, yeah, you would feel pretty boxed in. Mm. Yeah, and we discussed it, uh, I think, more so with when Dita was walking through the jungle, just uh, through the through the redwoods. Yes, the um, the trees are sort of spaced far apart, but just not being able to see more than 100 metres in any direction, just because of the size mm-hmm. of the tree trunks and that, like the, the trees, not being able to see behind them and how how taken up a lot of your view, and how it would feel just as claustrophobic because of dense jungle. But we. Um, we get to see the stegosaur plate sort of move above that those swinging those swinging bushes and uh, Sarah and Judson both Doctor Judson both share the stego info drop that we get in the film and we see that there's a nest nearby with broken eggs and that's when Sarah approaches the baby same as we get in the film. Mm-hmm. It's described as a male stegosaur that slams down the tail on the ground and then runs off into the jungle to sort of scare her away. I don't think when we talked about that minute we discussed whether it was the male or female that was on screen i don't i can't recall if you could really tell the difference with the stegosaurs it wasn't as it wasn't as clear as like with the velociraptors what were male and what were female no um the stegosaurs i thought there might have been some kind of sexual dimorphism where the females were more brown and the males were more green but from what i can tell there is there is actually no difference when you actually watch the movie they're all the same colour. Yeah, and I think more so too with just in general species, generally today, it's the females that sort of hang around the nest and like defend it. If the baby was in danger, it would have been the female to defend it, not the male. So mm-hmm. even if even if you've seen one amongst that herd that was a little bit different, uh, that was out in front or something else, but yeah, a lot of the... We've seen the, um, the crash artwork for the Stegosaur and they were all pretty much that same design. And they just uh, copied and pasted them a couple of times to make the stegosaur herd. But the the group sort of run off back into the jungle again and um, come across um, some tree trunks that they rest up against. And they um, take a bit of a breath and uh, all of a sudden they realise that it moves and that they're actually legs of a massive sauropod. Not the uh, Patasaurus. The uh, <laughs> Mickey. I've got no, I can't do it. Um, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> and so the um, the mastosauropod honks and moves away from the people. Then we see it wrap its head around another, and all of a sudden they uh, realise that the two animals are mating. And, uh, <laughs> they're um they're um un- underneath the uh, 
underneath the animals when all this is going on. We get the tails swinging around wildly, which bring down trees. And, and the, um, grab the umbrella. Yeah, and the, the group runs for the only cover they can find, and that's under the animals, where I don't think you want to be under the animals while they're mating, but if it's where they think it's safe, it's where they think it's safe. <laughs> and it, after a minute of them sort of um, crashing around and destroying the, the foliage and that, the... Um, they stop for a minute, which gives the humans a chance to run clear and back out into the jungle, where they collapse a, small, uh, a short distance away. So that would have been a little bit interesting to see on mm. on, on film. So we just imagine uh, Kathleen Kennedy or one of the producers, Gerald R. Mullen. Uh, Spielberg, you, you do realize this is a PG-13 movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me wonder where it come from, if it was something Crichton had in the original script or if this is something David kept aside to write in just as a bit more of a um, a bit more of an action or excitement scene here of them just trying to dodge dodge the animals as they're sort of moving around but so something about it feels very Crichton-esque yeah I don't know what it is but something something about just maybe it's because with a T-Rex scent marked the what was it, a Land Cruiser, or what, what was in the novel? The Explorer, backed up and the sat Explorer. on the Explorer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sat on the Explorer and sent market. Mm. Yeah, which even even that in the novel, like having that in the film would have been questionable as well. Like, I don't... <laughs> yes, yes, the films try to be as realistic as possible with the animals, but I don't think... We, well, we haven't seen, apart from Eric's collecting of T-Rex P in Jurassic Park 3, we don't really have any instances of the animals needing to go to the bathroom or um, I suppose the sick triceratops in Jurassic Park is another good one too but we didn't need to see that triceratops do that big mountainous pile of (laughs) 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 Uh, she's tenacious (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I will admit though it is probably one of the funniest parts of the second novel where the T-Rex gets up and there's the goo on the front of the car and there are all three of them are like did the T-Rex just shit on the hood of the car? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's described and we, we, we've talked in the last couple episodes about um, the whole birds and then being um, part bird and that. I'm pretty sure it's described mm-hmm. um, like the feces are described like birds. You've got the the black bit and the white bit like the urines mm-hmm. with it. So yeah, I experienced that today. Oh, really? <laughs> Watch my car and I come out like not even two hours later and there's a fresh bird turd right there on the hood. Washing your car is just an invitation to say, here, it's clean. <laughs> I just look at you and wait for you to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, at, least, at least I didn't sit on your hood and do it. But after this sort of little encounter, the um, the gatherers are suddenly taking the island a lot more serious now. Sarah sort of starts her whole um, no smoking, no leaving scent behind, if we so much as bend as a blade of grass, and the whole spiel she had while Malcolm's trying to get the uh, letters to loved ones and that off Eddie and Nick. But um, Nick sort of pulls the tape out of his camera and goes to label it with a sharpie, and he asks what he should call it, Jurassic Pork, and uh, Eddie laughs, which... Again, it sort of it suits the scene, but I don't think it needs to be in the film. <laughs> um. I could, I could, as a writer myself, I could see Kep and um, Crichton and whoever else they had in that writing room just like, 
okay, how can we make this as inappropriate as possible? Mm. But still get a, but still have let Spielberg get us get away with it at some <laughs> point, to some degree. Because, <laughs> I mean, one thing about writers is we are smart asses. Yep. We are. <laughs> and we will stick as much innuendo in everything as we can. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but then uh, it's Nick who sees the smoke coming from base camp and runs off, and then he cries out fire. And uh, they get back there, and it's all fires put out, much the same in the film. And yeah, the uh, we cut to the group readying their equipment. A lot more back and forth with uh, Malcolm and Kelly. And uh, Sarah sort of jumps, jumps to Kelly's defense, you know, wanting to stay. Ian, oh, Sarah's sort of against them recalling the boat. She says, Ian, if we recall the boat now, we've lost, or we've made two invasive landings in one day. That'd have to go on any paper, I write, and it will leave room for people to say our findings were contaminated. You know, the academic world, as I do. Once they smell blood in the water, you're dead. Our presence has got to be 100% antiseptic. That means if we bend a blade of grass, we bend it right back the way it... And she's sort of cut off by um, the sounds of thunder and the approaching hunters, but... It's explained here a lot more that um, due to sort of they're going there, they're researching animals, getting documentation to take back to show that the animals there are there and in peace and that academics were pulled apart if they see contamination in the field. It's not it's not sort of brought into the film that they don't want the boat to come back unless it's absolutely necessary to get off the island. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same, same way last week how we were discussing them arriving by boat and not by helicopter, just so they didn't um, disturbed the animals but yeah she's cut off by the sound what sounds like thunder and we get three C-130 cargo planes roaring overhead the doors open and we get a bit of a cargo drop here with the uh, hunters arriving on the scene which I think is a lot better than what we've seen in the film with f- six helicopters bringing a couple of vehicles and some boxes <laughs> onto the island and we, I think we discussed that at, during those minutes of just uh, how under, under under prepared it was whether they were going backwards and forwards from a from the venture or another supply ship that was offshore, um, we we pretty much discussed all that in those minutes. But um, Nick has a, a little line here to Sarah. You're saying something about being antiseptic <laughs> before these planes sort of uh, arriving on the scene. But we cut to uh, the hunters' camp and we get the metal containers that were pushed out of the planes being opened, jeeps roaring to life, and thick clouds of black diesel smoke rising into the air. They set up the blue laser fences that uh, we don't see in the film, but uh, was in the, uh, the shooting script as well, as the um, hunters established a perimeter around a new camp. Mm-hmm. Ludlow's introduction, again, it's um, pointed out how he's wearing brand new Banana Republic safari wear. We get a bit of a conversation between him and Burke, where um, he sort of tells Burke it's his dream to be here, and Burke's looking at some satellite, detailed satellite photos that... Um, spread out on the hood of a jeep and he's sort of telling that the herbivores are in the open plains like bison which would explain a great variety of um, heat dots we're reading in the flatlands around the waterhole so it's sort of it, it's, it, it's mm-hmm. just going into a lot of the uh, what they done when they landed where they're going to go and what they're going to go after because uh, Ludlow says that's where we're going mm-hmm. I think it's interesting the contrast they show here and I think I mentioned this uh, during the minutes was how very different from the setup engine's uh, entrance is where they're belching black diesel smoke and just burning up the foliage with their laser beams and instead of trying to blend in and 
become one with the environment. They're just mm. trampling yeah. all over it, you know? Yeah, well, that's it. They they see this island as an asset. They don't see it as a natural world. Um, like, they haven't listened to Hammond at all. No. <laughs> um. mm-hmm. No, and I forgot that um, Ludlow is described as being dressed in <laughs> Banana Republic gear because if you go into a Banana Republic today, they have no out, out, they have no outfitting at all. It's like cheap cheap shirts and it's basically in a, uh, like a 90210 yep. kind of story. <laughs> I was going to ask about if that would be more suited to 97. I can't remember Banana Republic 97. I mean, I probably just didn't pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. The amount of stores that sort of start off high high retail, and that and after a few years they realise not, they just got to go back to the the whole hot topic, oh. hot topic, just sell everything and anything just to try and get people mm-hmm. in the door, especially today's age with online shopping and that. You got to sort of try and you have, you can't really go to one niche market. You got to try and span a lot of it, but but it sort of just shows too that he's just been a pompous. <laughs> Although he wouldn't. And he doesn't have the this suit costs more than your education because I don't think it would in this case if he's buying it from Banana Republic. But, but um, we get to see the procession of cars leave the leave base camp and uh, Ludlow turns to Dieter Stark, the man we've seen at the welding shed earlier, and sort of he has a dialogue with him and not over the radio like we see in the film. This is as good a place as any for base camp. First priority, laser barriers, one of them all up running, 30 minutes, half an hour, I understand. So he's still being a dick. Um, mm-hmm. And especially more so because we see in the film Dieter's tall than Peter Ludlow, so he's sort of being a dick to someone a lot taller and a lot bigger, and more presence than he is. So he's 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 got balls. <laughs> but, um, Dieter sort of nods and turns to some hunters who uh, who number out twenty in all, and they're working nearby. But uh, someone steps in front of Dieter, cutting him off, and then we reveal Roland Tembo, the uh, guy we've seen from Mubasa earlier because there's no namings of him back then but uh, he mm. tells Dita to cancel the order Ludlow what why and um, Rowan points to the stream bed that's running running nearby and saying carnivores hunt near stream beds do you want to set up base camp or all you can eat people bar which I prefer the movie dialogue a lot better <laughs> yeah it rolls off the tongue better yeah yep and then yeah, find a new spot and uh, Dita sighs and goes to work Rowan puts an arm around Ludlow and pulls him aside and that's when we get the uh, the awesome bit of dialogue from Roland. But uh, I don't think when they're writing Dita here, I don't think someone like Peter Stromer is in the Dita character. I think it's more just um, someone with a lot less presence and probably a bit more just I wouldn't say sniveling, but but I suppose we do see him working in a welder's yard, so he's got to be sort of grizzled and mm-hmm. maybe a Dennis Quaid type. <laughs> 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 Although he wouldn't smoke. <laughs> Um, and yeah, the um, the hunters, um, the convoy gets uh, rumbles off into the jungle, and they're suddenly stopped by five pachycephalosauruses that are uh, spotted on the jungle path. Um, Ludlow calls ahead to Burke for the convoy, and we get an info dump from Burke that we see in the film. Um, but Dita walks up to one of them and tries to shoot away while Burke is narrating about the pachy's neck and. Uh, as um, as Dita returns to the vehicle, they charge him. Dita was going to shoot the animals here. It's in the dialogue. He was going to go up and shoot them. <laughs> but um, Roland stopped him, saying they were here to hunt, not to start a war, which I don't know if you, you've already gone in and you 
taking on the jungle. I don't think shooting the animals would start a war, <laughs> war with the animals, but it's sort of, again, that mentality of Roland where they're there to capture the animals. They're not there to kill them, um, apart from his prize that he wants. Because in this, this early script, too, he is there to collect his fee. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and RJ sort of see some uh, free-toed tracks of the Tyrannosaur and leave the convoy and go walking off in the jungle, telling Ludlow they'll catch up. Yeah, so he's not, he doesn't actually take part of the um, roundup sequence at all. Mm. And it's interesting, I I kind of find that, Do- uh, not Dodson's, um, Dido's reaction here to the uh, Pachycephalosaurus, kind of similar to Dodson's in the novel, where they're just ramming, he wakes up uh, with the Pachy surrounding him, and they're just ramming the car. Mm. And even even the way that they're, Describing it, I'm imagining an old jungle road, kind of really tight fitting, with the uh, foliage kind of just slapping at the sides of the car. Mm. You know. Well, it's much like the novel where I'm sure it's engine. They've got the the detailed satellite photos of the islands and that with the heat heat um, signatures of the animals and that. I'm sure they've got maps as well, which <laughs> I'd love to see mm-hmm. of um, of Sauna and where the road network is and that. Like you're not just driving through jungle. We only seen a couple of scenes earlier where the gatherers are sort of walking through after the stegosaurs, and it's impo- like impassable, impenetrable jungle. And these guys have got ve- you not you don't just drive through jungle knocking down trees, making a path. And I'm, I'm getting flashbacks to Crystal Skull where you got massive machines and that going through cutting down jungle to make <laughs> a path. But I don't think they're that well equipped here, and I'm sure like the uh, like the novel, they just found an old road that they're following, even though it's sort of overgrown and in tight the um the original road base is there mm-hmm. and yeah as you said like there's five five animals here that ram the lead vehicle and they um do a bit of damage to it <laughs> but um roland sort of does one of those whistles between his or hisses between his teeth and the animals scatter so he knows that knew how to get rid of them and then um mm-hmm. yeah as you said the two walk off in the jungle to uh, go after his fee up on the ridge the gatherers are up there and Looking down over, they're looking. Well, they're able to look down over the whole convoy from their vantage point, and yeah, we get a bit of dialogue between Eddie and Malcolm about why didn't Malcolm tell anyone that they were coming, and Malcolm didn't know that they were coming, which again sort of goes back to Hammond not being clear <laughs> about why it's so important to get there and get there now to uh, document mm-hmm. the animals. They spot the engine logos on the side of the trucks. It's sort of um, Malcolm's called out for being there and being a corporate stooge <laughs> by um, helping helping InGen. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, he said, no, we're here. we're here. It's an independently funded expedition by John Hammond. Um, it's not got nothing to do with InGen. We're not working for InGen. Yeah, Nick's, Nick's not too happy about being dragged out of Greenpeace to <laughs> go and work for a corporate entity. But um, they all sort of gang up on Malcolm a little, little bit now, and Malcolm just sort of mouths to himself, what are you, what are you doing to me here, John? <laughs> Meanwhile, um, Roland and RJ find the Rex nest, much as we see in the film, single baby inside, but it's got a red down on it, which unfortunately mm-hmm. didn't include in the film. Um, yeah, I believe that Stan Winston Studio said, or Stan Winston himself said that he would have loved to have been able to do it in the movie, but unfortunately, in 1997, he just wasn't able to get it to look realistic enough. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to really get it, get it to look good. In the um, animatronic and that, and the puppet, mm-hmm. and I don't think CG wasn't quite there with hair and that sort of detail feathers. No, not really. But if you'd had it 
night shots like we see the night shots with the trailers and even when they're going into that uh, the nest it's sort of really dark you could sort of maybe hide it a little bit but yeah mm-hmm. but um now as the uh, sun's going down we've got nick's up on the uh, ridge watching down over the hunter's camp and um looking at the various various vehicles and that around the area dita's um in the snagger holding a noose pole and um Animals tried to escape in the jungle, but motorcycles keep herding back into the uh, open plain. They catch the packy. It's um, Dita shoots a coniferous saw, not a um, parasol office. And um, yeah, a lot of the um, roundup goes on as we see in the film. But uh, we do get that little bit as we discussed in that minute of Burke running up with a syringe to inject the um, the animal mm-hmm. and um, pull out the spray can and spray the stencil of the animal's number on its leg. Look for the mark of Jurassic Park. <laughs> if it's not Jurassic Park, <laughs> it's extinct. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, and as we sort of mentioned in that thing as well, Dita's got the um, the cards there, the animals' images on them, and puts a big cross over it with a sharpie and says "next one." And that's when we cut to night. The hunters' base camp below the ridge. Blue laser fences circling the camp. All the vehicles are parked in rows to one side, which is important because they're all parked close together. Which is why when the fire gets into them, they all sort of get destroyed whereas in the film they're sort of lined up in a row as well in a couple mm-hmm. of rows so it's sort of carried over into the film but there's a dozen tents surrounding a campfire captured dinos in cages on the opposite side of the fire which is actually different from how it is in the final film where each each uh tent section kind of had their own little little tiny campfire out in front of them mm. and that's how the fire spread so quickly yep there's more discussion amongst the gatherers as they're looking down over the hunter's camp. Eddie's not with him. He's already back at the trailer. Um, Judson's the one asking the group to take Kelly back before doing anything. Irrational. They can see, clearly see that Rollins. He's rejoined the group now and he's in charge, not Ludlow. And Sarah recognises him from Brazil, where he was hunting jaguars with spears. And um, we do, I do remember talking about that in the minutes earlier as well, where they had sort of a bit of a backstory that's not brought up in the films at all. Actually, that backstory gets changed over to um, Nick Van Owen in the uh, shooting script. He he's the one who ends up um, no uh, who says he was who recognized Roland as the spear hunter he met uh, hunting jaguars, and he ended up sabotaging his hunt. Mm. Yeah, and then it sort of changes again in the film where we get it's Roland that recognizes Nick. Mm-hmm. But, we can only assume because of that South American hunt, but um, he doesn't really go into any detail at all to make us think that. No. But, um, yeah, we cut to the jungle clearing. Ludlow finds Roland and the two have a drink. And um, Ludlow asks Roland about his gun and uh, he explains how it's his father's 600 Nitro Express, which we talked about this um, when, he, uh, when they captured the Tyrannosaur, but... Uh, how how it belonged to a great the last great hunter. I think it's in South America, uh, South Africa. But um, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and again too, he as we discussed before, Ludlow's sort of telling him that um, he'd only planned to bring back the herbivores and not the carnivores, but um, because of the liability risk. But uh, it never occurred to him to bring back the baby, as they're looking at the baby Trinosaur and. The, the baby sort of, even with its jaws clamped shut, lunges at Ludlow's face and headbutts him, <laughs> which um, 
right across the bridge in the nose, and he sort of staggers back in pain, clutching his bleeding face, and Roland laughs. And Ludlow, like an enraged child, snatches up Roland's gun and brings the butt down viciously on the animal's leg, and the bone breaks with a dry snap, and the animal howls in pain, which... That sort of changed a couple of times, too. Like, in the shooting script, it was something rustled in the bushes, and Ludlow stood back being drunk and stood on the baby's leg, but... Yeah, that's what happens in the, um... That's what happens in the final film, too, because you see he leaves his bottle of scotch there next mm. to the baby T-Rex. Yeah, it's just sort of here he's sort of talking about the baby and how he never thought about taking a baby back, and he's up close to it and close enough that it can lunge at him and headbutt him. Well, he's discussing the same thing with um, Roland at the in the shooting script as well, but it, the animal scurries out of the bushes and scares him. Mm. Well, Ludlow sort of says he we've got to transport it 7,000 miles. Would you prefer it to bit off the leg of a crew member? And he sort of gets up and brushes himself off and heads back to camp trying to salvage his dignity. And Roland just watches him go. So, again, a lot of that stuff we didn't see in the in the final film it was cut. He just sort of appears back at the... Uh, back doing the conference, the investor's speech. Mm-hmm. But here we get a lot more of um, Nick and Sarah and Malcolm um, going through the laser fence and sabotaging the camp. Uh, they're starting by cutting fuel lines on the vehicles, uh, all of them except for the, that one that the packies rammed earlier, which is over in a workshop area getting worked on. With, yeah, so not all, all but one of the uh, vehicles get their fuel lines cut. And that's when they move on to the various cages and start to open them up. Over in the uh, tent, Ludlow's not doing the um, the investor speech. He's looking at satellite scans, uh, talking to Dieter and Burke about the next day's hunt. Burke says, if you're really interested in infants, we've had better luck at the seaside because the sands offer a cushioning surface while the egg clutches can. can. And he sort of trails off as a thunderous sound can be heard. Um, and then the trike comes through the rear of the tent. So a little bit different to the film. I, I prefer the, um, the film because they've already cut out the fact that Ludlow's interested in babies at this stage. Um, I think the whole investor, investor speech is needed just so you know what InGen's plan, are, plan is. Because it's not really clear up yeah, until I now. Agree. And also the fact that um, in this script they mentioned that the Euplocephalus, um, I, I can't remember, it's the Ankylosaur that's not the Ankylosaurus. Um, where they mentioned that it's been run off a cliff and that was the bone bed they saw earlier mm. and that it's sadly once again extinct and that is actually referenced in the Dinosaur Protection Group where they said that um, I think they said that they you you so whatever the hell it was <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one I'm glad I'm not the only one uh, well, where it's basically uh, extinct again. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Trike comes through to ten as we see in the film, um, in the confusion. Malcolm and Sarah get swept away in one direction while Nick in another with the hunters running in all directions. Trike runs through the campfire with the canvas on its back and bursts into flames, and as it's running around, it's knocking over a jeep, and that's to, that lights the fuel, ignites the jeep, and it flies in the air. So here we are... Uh, here it pretty much confirms in the script anyway that um, that jeep that goes towards Roland um, explodes and that's how it gets launched, not from the Triceratops impacting it. Um, 
bright. We we discussed all the different possibilities there in that minute as well. Yeah. Jeep flies towards RJ and Roland as we see in the film. Um, equipment tent explodes, knocking Dieter to the ground. He slowly gets up to his feet and sees Roland standing over him. And Roland tells him, "It's the last time I leave you in charge." Nick sort of comes out of the jungle and finds the baby, much as we see in the film as well. Meanwhile, back up on the ridge, um, we cut to Ian and Sarah climbing the hill back to where they left the M-Class, and Nick's already there waiting for him. Malcolm opens the rear door, and Nick yells to wait, but the baby shrieks and lunges at, <laughs> at Malcolm, and the open door it narrowly misses him and slams its, as he slams the door shut. And Roland hears all the commotion up on the ridge and asks if any of his men are up there. So that's, that's how they find out that... Um, there's more people on the island, not the lock in the foot and all the lock that Nick cut earlier. Mm. Malcolm confronts Nick, saying, as he explains, it's got a broken leg and he says to put it out of its misery. And Nick, um, Nick's telling him to get back in the car before they hear us. And they sort of jump in. Malcolm's got the, um, the unlucky part of being in the back seat and it sort of... It doesn't go without uh, injury. He gets his arm slashed by the baby's leg as it's kicking around in the back seat. Yeah, we got Eddie, Judson and Kelly are up in the high hide uh, waiting for him as the M-Class pulls up to the trails and Eddie frowns when he sees the baby getting pulled from the back seat. Mm-hmm. Um, all the in-trailer stuff, Sarah examining, and Nick examining the baby's leg. Um, same as in the film, although it's done on the steel dining table and not the lab area that we see in the rear of the trailer. All the dialogue from Sarah's pretty much lifted word from word from the novel. Um, about having to set the broken leg if it can't pivot it won't be able to hunt and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and we also we can hear from the um, from the high hide that the baby's screams can be heard from outside and they're sort of echoing through the jungle and the uh, the pre-script also does show that, or describe uh, Sarah applying the foil cuff to the baby's leg um, which again all that's directly from the from the novel so um, that's where we're going to leave it before we uh, get to the trailer attack. We're about to hear the uh, roar from the Tyrannosaur and have it um, push the M-Class over the cliff, but uh, we'll go into that next week. We'll see how we go. That might nearly get us to the get us to the Hunter's Camp. But uh, mm-hmm. Dave, anything else you want to discuss this week before we get heavy for the day? Yeah, I think we're uh, coming up pretty well. All right, awesome. Well, half an hour from now, John Hammond's dream reimagined will come true. For one one-hundredth the cost of building a destination resort thousands of miles away. I believe I've spent enough time in the company of death. All right, guys. Let's get the hell out of here. What's everybody looking for? Tonight, we'll christen Jurassic Park San Diego with a mega attraction to drive Townstar on his drive with anything in park. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, Life 